at all the regular times and the anointing is here with us. Would that, is that a true statement, an understatement, a middle statement? What is that, Joel? Is that accurate? All I can ask you to do is maybe go on the streamcast and go back and listen to what our Father had to say to us. Because He was saying it to me too. Because He loves us. Today, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 5. And I want to tell you up front, in human life, we've developed this thought and we've had begin to have thoughts that have been coming to a line in the last century to think better of ourselves. It's along the line of self-worth. How can I believe myself to be worthy? So comes in the ideas that are healthy. Esteem. Should we have a healthy esteem? Yes. Is there a healthy self-esteem? Is there a healthy self-hyphenated esteem? And now we've entered into allowing our ego what we align ourselves, what we think of ourselves as of. That's certain forms. Alex, you could be a better man if you had a, a newer, better truck than the one you work out of. Not true. You could be a better man if you lived in a certain type of neighborhood, wore a certain type of clothes. If you didn't shop at Penny's and Sears, maybe you could shop at Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom, one of the Beverly Hills outlets for clothing. You'd be in a better status of person. Maybe you could think better of yourself. So we see the triangle of mimetic desire. Uh, Kierkegaard, Rene uh, Kierkegaard pointed this out to us. It's amazing if you can go into a shop and there are good things all over the shop, but yet if there's a covey of people at one table looking at something, you'll be magnetically drawing to look at what everyone else is look at and wind up wanting what everyone else wants. Not so much because you want it, because you're being sucked into... I intentionally resist and will not follow to that table because I, I realize what's going on. I even tell myself, and I may find out afterward, I would have liked what was on the table, but I don't want to like it just because everyone else is liking it. Because I don't know if it's true to me and I don't know if I should possess what everyone else possesses. You see, we think it's better when our team wins. And somehow or another, we identify our self-worth with their winning. And truth be told, you had nothing to do with it. Well, that's my team. I'm glad to see them win. I'm glad to see everybody win. But when you pick out one particular team, that means you're also in agreement with all the other losers, only hoping that one team wins. And truth be told, that's not good enough for me. I want everybody to win. 
these games of competition feed our competitive spirit. That competitive spirit is in the church. Everyone wants to be superior now, choosing the forms of intellect, doctrine, THD, PhD, letters behind your name, so you can be who you are, and you're better than that. You're more than that. You may be manifesting as that for a time and a season. And that's also why I've resisted that. I've had several opportunities to try this, try that, and I could be, you should, maybe, in some senses, address me as Dr. Kello, but that's a human thing. Not a doctor of medicine, a doctrine of theology. I've been told several times, you really should go get that, that, that designation. People would think better of you. And I said, yeah, and what I do with me, with a thought like that, I'm already more than people can handle without it. Much less having another reason that I demand that you listen to me. I'm Dr. So-and-so. No, that's no good. If I don't show the love, who cares about the knowledge? I would rather remain poor in spirit, humble in spirit, merciful in spirit, though I be found in the form of a servant, and though God chose back in 1961 to fashion me as a little boy who became a man, I'm greater than those two things. And when we get to heaven... People say, well, I need to know I'm married to him. Well, we won't be given to marriage in heaven. We won't be given to sexuality of male and female in heaven. Like our salvation, there's neither male nor female when you're born again. You just simply belong to God. Your essence and your spirit was formless when it was first chosen. Your first existence as a son of God was in Christ before the foundation of the world. The earliest appearance of you was in Genesis 1-3, let there be light. And Cindy was in there. Now, Cindy's not even her real name. That's the name that earthly people named her. And we use Cindy to identify her. And Cindy will say, well, that's who I am. Not really. That's her earthly name. But if she continues to overcome as she is, God's going to give her a white stone and in that white stone, which is the stone of justification, that if someone comes to you and says, hey, weren't you guilty of this? You say, yeah, we had the trial about 2,000 years ago, and it went all the way to the cross, and I was found innocent. And I was given this stone in case you try to condemn me for something of the past to let you know that I've already had my court case, I've already been found innocent, and the blood and the sacrifice has already been shed for me, and this is the justification that I'm free from what I was accused of and indicted for years ago. Well, how do you know? Well, in this stone, I was given a new name. And know that no one knows that name except you and God. And that name, I've thought about that name a lot. Is it a name name? Like we use a name? Or is it a belonging? I'm at this preferred belief in my essence, my spirit, that the Father's let me know that I am His beloved. 
what God beloves dearly and what God has a desire for dearly is me. I belong to Him. See, Leah, He loves you sometimes much more than you love yourself. I love your husband's attitude about thanksgiving. Let's just get together and love each other. Let's not make it about what you buy me and what I buy you. Let's not go down that road. Let's just enjoy each other. Let's enjoy the family. Let's enjoy the fact that we're brothers and sisters. I love it. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Now, you know, oh, I know, I'm Scrooge, and I'm the, I'm the, uh, the, the what is it, the Grinch, uh, the Green Grinch. No, I like to see kids receive. You want to buy gifts for kids? Fine. But you want to get me? I want a truckload of nothing. I'd rather have a truckload of you and your love than anything you could buy. I'd rather have your loving, appreciative hug. I'd rather have a smile like Michelle's doing right now. You know you really can't fake smiles. You can tell when people love you because when the smile is so genuine, it pushes the eyes up and crow's feet show up. And you ladies hate that. But it's when it's genuine, your cheeks get a workout even when they don't want to get a workout. How many ever felt such a genuine smile come on you that your whole face feels like it's gone up to your forehead? And for a moment, I feel Vietnamese, Chinese, and Japanese all at once. Because my eyes are now so slanted. So you can't fake a real smile. Because you can't fake genuine love that comes out of the appreciation of the genuineness of loving. And I want my love to be genuine. So I want to tell you that ego is the enemy. Well, why would God give us an ego? Well, we turned it into one. If you go back to the history and development of psychology, we turned ego into our thoughts. And we begin to see that people live and die in their thoughts. So we begin to think about what we're thinking about. I hope so. I hope some of us ask. How many of you begun, have begun to think about what you think about? Please, do me a favor and say yes. Why am I thinking that way? Why is that thought running through my head? Is this meaningful, Josh? Is this a thought that I should cast down? Jesus talked a lot about our thought life. And if you listen to Wednesday night, He told them time and time again, Take not thought. Stop letting these thoughts enter into your mind that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. God said, I'm going to take thought for that. You don't have to. Stop worrying about what I do. Stop worrying about what others do after Jesus clearly told Peter what he wanted him to do, he saw the beloved disciple standing there, and immediately he said, uh, you know, he felt, I guess it felt like uh, Jesus was on top of him with both feet, correcting him and guiding him and leading him and telling him one of the 12 times, Peter, would you just follow me? All I really want you to do is follow me. He said, oh, by the way, Jesus, what about this guy? What would you have him to do? And, and Jesus goes, I just told you what to do. That's the most important thing in your life. And instead of you worrying about what John was supposed to do, why don't you start doing what I asked you to do? And if I will that this one stays here until I come back, what is that to you? Get ready. Here it comes. What a revelation. Follow thou me. 
That's all you got to do. That's all Enoch did, and he was found pleasing to God. And if you'll find if you'll just follow Jesus, he's very pleased to deal with you and work with you. And he's not shocked every day that your life needs perfecting. He's not shocked every day that there are things to work out. Oh my God, did you see what's going on? But God says, no, I know what's there. And I'm pleased to deal with it. I know they have fits and spits and ups and downs and ins and outs. And sometimes they're just happier uh, than an eagle. And sometimes they're madder than a vulture. Lift your hand and say, I'm both. I'm both light and dark. And when God's in it, God's the author of your darkness. And if a darkness has come, He's only stopped something in your life. And you're back in the womb of manifestation. And you're about to be birthed into a new manifestation of the Son of God that you are. That's why you can never hold to one form too long. Do not judge yourself after forms. Because there may be a day that you can't live that form anymore. Do you stop being you? Do you stop being who you are? Or is it reminding you of what you really are? That you're not the sum total of all the things that your ego has pointed out and said, that's why you have self-esteem, that's why you're better, that's why you're superior, that's why you're on top. No, all that can be gone in a day. That's what Job found out and he was still God's son. Everything that he was laboring to maintain, everything that he was in fear sacrificing to keep and maintain and continue to be the richest man in the East. And because of God, not only was he the richest man in the East, he was the richest man in the East a hundred times over after he went through his darkness because he was birthed into a greater reality. He came out of the womb of darkness. You know, I came into this world through darkness. I don't know how you did it, but I came out of utter darkness. I was all cramped up there in my mother's womb and saying, man, there's got to be more room around here somewhere. I'm so tired of sleeping with my elbow in my face and my, and my ankle uh, in the middle of my back. I, you know, there's got to be more room. And then, you know what I found out? My mom felt the same way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you moms. I love the moms that are saying, amen, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. No, I can only talk about it metaphorically. Closest thing I ever had to that pain, they say, was a kidney stone. And uh, if, that, if that's what having babies is like, the world would not be populated. If God was depending on me to be a mom, heck no! God, you're going to find another route because that don't work for me. I'm not going through that. Why do we base ourselves on formed judgment? Formed judgments. We have the values of the world now. We want to look like them, act like them, talk like them, and be superior to them and say, I'm a son of God too. That's who I am. No. Every form you choose, if you hold on to it too much, if you idolize it too much, you're going to demand that God come to your temple of Dagon and whatever you have erected to go in there with God And we're not saying that you don't have God, but because of God, if you've erected some identity and ego that you get yourself worth from too much, promise you, Jesus in your temple, you're going to come in the next morning 
and the temple, the idol of Dagon, is going to be knocked over on his face. It's going to fall apart. God said, I didn't really call you to be just that. You're not just that. You're greater than that. You're much more than that. Now, you have manifested as that, and that's okay. But learn how to possess your vessel in sanctification and in honor. Live moderately, and God will let you continue to do what you're doing. But if you worship there a little too much, you know, Jesus and the thing you idolize, and that's the judgment that you've made up in your mind through your ego, that's devouring too much of you, and your ego is slowly but surely edging God out. Everybody say that with me. Edging God's out. God, I do love you, but I only have this much time for you. And where you spend your time, your energy, and your effort will also be where you spend your body, your money, and your worship. And I know people say, I don't worship that. I know you don't. You just spend all your time there, all your money there, all your energy there, and all your mind and soul and spirit there. I know you're not all about the stripes and the green front yard and the grass and the way the house looks at Christmas time. I know you're not all about that. But since you spent the last month out there making it look that way, please don't tell me it doesn't mean anything to you. Are there other things that mean something to you? I want to purport to you today that God means something to me. And I'm probably not going to be the yard of the week, but I am going to love you. I'm probably not going to have the best Santa Claus climbing out of my chimney, but I do have a love because Christ was born in my city almost 50 years ago. He lived in the city of David. David's not around anymore, but I'm here. And now he lives in my city. He's the governor of the government that he rests upon his shoulders. And what he told me to rest upon my shoulder was a cross. And that's where I don't build up self-worth. Get ready, church. Deny self. I deny myself the reputations of formed judgment. And I go back to the formless. Because any one thing that I choose to get my self-worth and build up my self-esteem. That's a part of myself that I will ultimately find that needs to be denied. And I'm mixing my temple with other things and idols. And we all have knowledge of idols. We all know about idols. Surely to God, Cindy, I don't need to teach you about idols. We all have that knowledge. Until we find out some other way. Well, Pastor Keller, you just like preaching on others. Okay, I'll preach on me. Here's my vulnerability. Here's my vulnerability. I used to think that people knew me because I have the prettiest, shiniest truck. And I spent a lot of time keeping it pretty and shiny. And I began to realize in my innermost being, I didn't even enunciate this because I was wondering already how long it was going to last. I was already wondering, well, Lord, what about when I can't do that? What will I be then? He said, well, you'll be you. Like being in New York City and walking up to a young boy and saying, Oh my God, where am I? And he said, Well, my Lord, man, you're right there.
We lose ourselves when we no longer have the identity that we thought made ourselves what we are. When we didn't make ourselves, God made us. Now you are what you do or is what you're doing just a manifestation of what you are? Amen. And it's high time that we begin to think about why we're thinking and how many of those thoughts wind up fighting us and exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. And Jesus said, What heretofore, if you see the Son of Man ascending back up from which He descended? You know, I'm just going back to where I came from, right? Do you know why the Holy Spirit bears witness to you? Because your first existence was spirit. You were a spirit before you were a body. You were a spirit before you were a body and soul. You were just like your Father, God, because everything brings forth of its own kind. When God said, let there be pine trees, guess what, church? Pine trees send out the seeds of pine trees. And yet we based ourselves on the physical instead of the one who created the tree. And the Creator is a part of me and I'm a part of Him. He is what I am and I am what He is. I'm a part of the I am that makes Him I am. You know that's why you can be born again. Because you've already been born once. The again part is the revelation. You've been brought back into the family of God. You've been brought back into who you really were. Your origination coming back into view and bearing witness. You find that Jesus Christ is the hope of your glory. And as it said in 2 Corinthians 5, I know I told you to turn there, so now I'll go there. 2 Corinthians 5, it's just a real heavy verse. This is something that one of the kids in Sunday school would choose to remember a Bible verse because it's so short. For we walk by faith, not by... But guess what sight does to us? Through the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to have. That's what I align myself. And as soon as I get it, I'll tell you, well, that's who I am. Oh, I have one of those. Watch little children do it. Here's your toy. Well, take their toy from them before they put it down, and you're going to find that that child has already placed his identity on that toy. And they'll go to screaming and shouting, and whining because they haven't put it down. Now, if they put it down, they could care less if you pick it up and, and give it to someone else. But if you take it while they're playing with it, they've already put their being on it saying, that's mine, that's who I am, that's my toy. But that's not who you are. Just something God gave you for a time and a season to enjoy. And, what did Job say? The Lord giveth. Oh, it's the taking away part that we don't want. Don't take it away. Because in mimetic desire, for some reason, we forgot what we went into the store for. And everyone who was over here at this table, and all the people looking at what was on this table, and everyone grappling and fighting and trying to get one, when they had that toy out, what was it? Uh, Tickle me Elmo, and then they made a, a whole movie about it, what was it, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think it was him, or, what's that? Oh, Jingle All the Way, do you have that toy, and they had that other great comedian, what was his name, 
African-American guy. It was funny as all get out. And they're both fighting to get this toy. What? Sinbad. Well, we pray for those who watch too much TV, but never listen. I love you, Jessica. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. It was a setup. setup. No, I watched it too. I just couldn't remember the names. Good movie, but it is the perfect example, especially in America, of mimetic desire. Suddenly, I never wanted that, but when I saw Gene have one, well, I'd really like to be Gene, and I really covet, I say I like, but I really covet her lifestyle. So if she gets one, I want one. And if you're not careful and you get carried away with this, you'll come into competition with the woman you should be loving. And now you're no longer enjoying the blessing. You're in competition. Trying to one-upmanship. One-upmanship. Trying to one-up one another. And I know Jean doesn't do that, but the lady that lives right down the street from her put a candy cane staircase up to her chimney and Jean put hers up last week. I don't know where she got the idea. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. Kidding, kidding, kidding. You've never seen it in neighborhoods where this person puts up a little bit of lights and the guy down the street puts a little bit more lights and you drive through next week and there's a little bit more lights and you go down the street and now he's got more lights and then you go down the street and he's got more lights and suddenly, who would have ever thought they're competing over how many lights you put on the house? That's right, the Griswold. And what is that? That's mimetic desire. And what do I do? I make sure sure that Diana and I never drive down that street. Why? Because I don't want to hang all those lights on the house. Because I'm already thinking once you hang them, you've got to take them back down. The gift that keeps giving. I know. It's called mimetic desire and it's something we're ruining ourselves with because we say this is who we are and that is not who you are. You're choosing a moment instead of an eternity. We walk by faith. Faith helps us realize who we are and faith is the substance that we realize my original essence and if I'm returning to the original design of who I am, the wonderful idea when God was making me in my mother's womb in designing who I was, could any one thing really define you? Could the cluster of things that you're doing right now that you say, well, that's who I am, do those define you? That's all you are? If you went out today and we finally did get that one toy as we were jingling all the way, What's the motive? Well, I want my child to have one too because that's what they want. But why do they want it? They want it because Johnny's got one and Frankie's got one and Timmy's got one. Not because they want it. It's because they saw other people want it. And now their want has become their want until they find out why do you want what you want? Why do you want what you want? Why do you think what you think? What trap of ego are you falling into to get your identity? Quiet in the house of God. And this is why people get offended when I preach because we're digging down into the soul. And most people say, Oh no, I don't want you in there. You can come into the house, but don't go in the back rooms. 
I got this room all set up for you to look at, but don't go back there. I don't want you back there. And guess where Jesus is standing? At the door where you don't want nobody to go in. He says, can we clean this up now? I know the appearance, the sophistry, the causistry, the front, the subtle, fallacious front that you put up says, oh, my whole life's like this, but we know better. That's why church itself has missed the mark because we come out and look the best and act the best. Uh, for what? How, how long is it? Have, have you timed it lately? Okay, we're fixed. We're pulling up now. Stop fighting. Stop yelling at one another. Put on your best face. You're about to walk in church. Act like you love people. Uh, you should put yourself on a stopwatch. Click. Or is it really the way I live and is it really who I am everywhere I go? We all have. God forbid. I, I was trying to do my best not even realizing that I was undermining the very work that I was trying to accomplish by looking my best, acting my best, thinking that, you know, very genuinely. Well, well, well Sister Cindy, God wants my best. But by being my best, I was putting myself so far above people that they'd come to church and see me operating the Holy Ghost and they would say, I can never be that. I could never be that. So I had to show to show my broken side, my vulnerabilities. I had to join in with the congregation and say, guess what? I'm working it out with you. I'm not perfect. I know I look perfect and act perfect, and I'm trying to be perfect, especially at this time, especially to showcase God. God said, come on, Kevin. Join in, the, join in with your flock. Show them that it can be done but show them that you're working it out too. That was putting God at a far distance out of trying too hard. Because I really thought He needed my best to be who He was. And He said, Nah, I really love you because you're not your best. You're not even at better yet. You're really just a hot mess. How many would admit that I'm a hot mess? I'm a hot mess. Let me tell you something, I'm, I'm the type that you can put it on the stove. My God, what a mess. Curtis would call it succotash stew from Yosemite Sam. For we walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. Why? Go back to 2 Corinthians 4.18 and I'll tell you why by faith. It's only by faith that you can understand this comparison. It's only by faith that you can realize, are you valuing yourself over judged forms? Or have you returned to realize that the Creator in you is formless and you should be without reputation? And yet we go about to establish the forms of our reputation because we say, that's who I am. Oh, you're much more than that. You're much greater than that. Jesus said, uh, yeah, I came down from heaven and you're going to see me go back because that's where I came from. And that's what God's trying to get you to, back to your origination. Back to understanding that you're much more than what you do. You're much greater than what you've accomplished. You're much greater than any form you've structured to say, you know, and we all do it. I got the placards, the Kellos, the Kellos. 
Without God, there'd be no Kellos, there'd be no name, there'd be no house. Well, there'd be no existence. I'd never have been here without God. So what reputation do I have other than God? And the things that I have done, they've just shown the creative ability of God in me for a time and a season. And if that season's coming to an end, and it may come to an end, or you may realize it needs to end through a tribulation, a trial. And that's how you enter the kingdom of God, by the way. Through much tribulation, you enter the kingdom. Because what entering the kingdom is, you're loved even without the thing that you thought made you what you are. You're loved even without the thing that made you what you thought you were. I can't hold to that anymore, and yet you're still alive. You're still existing. You still have a being. While we look, there it is, looking again. The miscomprehension of Nicodemus. Jesus asking him to comprehend that except a man be born again, Nicodemus immediately went to carnality. He said, Ugh, what a dreadful concept, rabbi, teacher, master. How can I an old time? You ladies need to say amen to this. Go a second time in my mother's womb. You don't want any of your grown children crawling back up in between your legs and say, Hey, can we do this again? No! Ah! Everybody say, ah! Especially you ladies. I can't believe it. That's such a cringeworthy thought. How can I, an old man, climb a second time in my mother's womb? That's not the idea. You're seeing this the wrong way. That's born of the water is of the water, which is the natural birth. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He said, comprehend spiritually, Nicodemus, not carnally. While we look by faith, how many say that you have faith right now? Cut your discernment on and go into this thought, go into the ideal of this statement, and don't see it carnally, see it spiritually. So there's not just two elements being discussed. It is supposing through the presupposition of the gift of your faith that you will understand this and read this through the eyes of your understanding being enlightened through the gift of grace which gave you the measure of faith to comprehend the statement that's about to be made. While we look in faith, I'm not looking with my eyes because that's not how we walk with God. Because how many knows if we looked at your life there'd be no way you'd continue to serve God because it looks like it's impossible. It looks impossible. But I found out what's impossible with men is very possible with God. So I stopped looking at it carnally. While we look with the eyes of faith, the eyes of our understanding, being enlightened, because we, we, we don't want to know the hope of our calling, but what is the hope of His calling? Why would God call you, Scott Huffseller? Why? You quoted this morning, very, very accurately so, the eyes of our understanding should have popped open. While we look, not at the things which are seen. Now ego, who is the enemy, derives its self-worth from what it sees and then what it goes out to obtain and own and possess and hold in a form 
but yet you're greater than what you're holding on to right now. You're greater than what you've performed. Another tense of form. You can conform, you can preform. And Jesus found himself in the form. The formless God now has taken on the form of a servant and he finds himself suited in humanity, fashioned as a man. He could have been fashioned as a woman. He could have. God chose to fashion the image of himself as a man. Are you all with me today? The Spirit of God and the essence of God took on the robe of humanity. He was the fullness of God and he was in the fashion of bodily form. His conformity was not to the world, but he was the form of God and he became God with us. And he lived a performance. He preformed. He literally lived out the form of God in the earth through the flesh. And how did he make this performance? Well, he was tempted in all sin, in all points. And somehow or another, Jessica, he did it without sin. To show us that flesh is not what does it, God in us is what does it. The flesh works against us. The flesh lusteth against the Spirit. Looks, sees, and desires wrong things. Now, of course, I know I'm the only one that fights that, so I'm preaching to me today. Lest I become deformed, so I choose not the conformity of the world, but rather be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that, that you're not conformed to the world, but there can be a transformation back into the substance that what I judge about me is formless. And if I judge about me what's formless, then uh, I don't have to be for or against anything. I just am. Do you like leaded or unleaded? I like them both. Do you like Democrat or Republican? I love them both. My desire to love is I don't egotistically demand anybody be one special way just because I'm here. I want to love you until you come into the same love. As a matter of fact, you can be uh, very different from me and I still want to love you. Y'all with me? I've made fun and laughter and different things and I will tell you in this season of life, if you happen to be what one time was a Redskins fan and now a Washington football team, you have an uphill journey and I will tell you that. I could have went all day without saying that, right? Some of you have chosen a harder path, but I'll pray for you. But see, again, that's egotistical. That's with the without being said, there must be another team that I do support and find more favorable than others. When I should love everyone the same. You with me today? Are you understanding? While we look not at the things which are seen, because if you make yourself a judgment that's already formed, uh, 
You're choosing something that's temporal, and temporal things pass away. They don't last forever, but you will. You will. But we look at, we comprehend, we see spiritually the things which are not seen. So how do we see and realize we comprehend the eternal? The formless God moving as a spirit upon the face of the deep. And the face of the deep is just the nexus of nothing until He brings His energy, His plan, and His spoken heart to coalesce the big vacuuming hole in the middle of nothing, nowhere, and turn it into something. Your real ability is you have the creative ability to manifest in so many ways that one thing cannot define you. Believe it or not, this is where Muhammad and the Muslims are really right. One thing can't define God. But in one thing, God can be seen. You ladies stop fighting on the front row for God's sake. How church go this morning? Well, two sisters got in a fight over Kleenex. I don't. Yes, she does. I'm just joking. Laugh, laugh. Of course, everybody might not think it's funny, but I think it's hilarious. I've been in church so long. I've got to find humor. Uh, got to find humor in something. Cat fight on aisle three. Cat fight on aisle three. No. While we look at the things which are not seen, the things which are not seen are eternal. Hold right there and go to Hebrews 11.3. And I don't mean to just say this to overload your circuit board or to blow out your transistors, but then again, if it does blow some of them out, God already understood that you can live without them instead of with them. It could be those transistors that you soldered into your life that you think makes you what you are that you don't need anymore. Oh, metaphor and palm metaphor. I am what I am because of God. And I am what I am in formless because I can take on whatever form is necessary. That's why God's name appears the very first time. God in the Bible is Elohim. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's a plurality of meanings from one God. God said, I can take on any form, any shape, any time, anywhere, for any reason in the heavens above, in the earth beneath, and to communicate to your life. And I, I can do it through the goozle of a rooster, through a donkey rebuking the madness of the prophet. I can make an axe head swim back out of the water to give a miracle. An axe head, an inanimate life. And they come to the prophet and said, I borrowed a man's axe and I swung it back and it came off the hilt and it went, it went and fell in the old muddy Jordan and we can't see the bottom and, and I don't have the way to pay it back. And God said, okay, watch this. I'm going to make an axe head swim like a fish. And not only swim, I mean, he wasn't in there with all the other rainbow trouts waiting on somebody to come fly fishing. It came swimming out and came back to the man. Why? Because God can be anything, anytime, anywhere that you ever need. God can get into anything, not just church people. I'm learning more from people that don't go to church right now than people go to church because church people always put limits on God. 
and the thinkers have been pushed out of the church. The people who are willing to explore and go further and go deeper and go beyond, they got pushed out of the church a long time ago. We kicked evolution and Darwin. We kicked him out of the church so long ago and made it our mission in life to let them know not what we're for. We had to let them know what we're against. Stupid. Crazy. And all you're doing is putting another limit on God where you can't know Him. And you're basically saying another man who carries God's DNA, God's intelligence, God's creation, that he doesn't know Him either because he doesn't know Him the way you want Him to know Him. And your ego says, well, that's not my religion and I don't identify with that, so he's out. How many people are littered in the ditches of your journey that you've just thrown away? Just full of people. Thrown away. Because you'd rather identify another way. It could be that your identification is too narrow. Wow, what a job people have to do. If you don't get in between... Uh, you know, when they put those, uh, those blinders on, if you don't get in this lane, I'll kick you out. My blinders have been falling off for at least the last 30 years. And what I found out was what people don't like is I'm too open. My vision is too wide. My, my, my vision is too circumspect. I'm constantly looking 180 degrees. I even shudder to tell people, some things that I listen to because they'll say, oh, that's ungodly. And then will ensue another casuistry of conversation and the fallacious, specious argument of religion. And they'll just say that I shouldn't be polluting myself with those ideas. And I don't feel polluted. It's quiet in the house of God. I know I should only listen to the old Billy Graham tapes and, and presently Charles Stanley, I should have one medium and that's it. But I'm a bit more diverse than that. And I like both of those guys. But I don't only like those guys. And if I had my choice and I had to listen to Franklin, uh, Graham or his sister, and Graham Lotz, I'd rather listen to Ann. She's my choice over him, uh, a, a cozillion to none. Franklin's a bit too harsh and too black and white. He's like listening to a paper cutter. All he can do is cut the paper off, cut the paper off. His doctrine is so hard. And I think God's more graceful than what he represents. Oops. Does that mean I'm against him? No, I'm all for him. Thank God for what he does. Somebody needs to hear what he has to say. And God, at sometimes, in some places, and somewhere, will use what he's saying to reach somebody. I believe that. But that's not the only way my father speaks. Sometimes he speaks through Clara. As I said, sometimes. 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 Key word is sometimes. Sometimes he speaks through me. And trust me, the rest of you know when he doesn't speak through me. Hebrews 11. While the things that we do look at are eternal. Why? 
Because 11.3 said, Through faith we understand. It's not through understanding that we have faith, but it's rather through faith. And it's through faith that when we look or comprehend, we see things eternally, or we see the spiritual essence of how creation made things that have form. But I won't form my judgment about who I am by form because that's already telling me it's temporal and it won't last. And there's much more to me than that. I'm not just the one thing that I do. I'm much more than that. You're much more than that. Don't limit yourself to formed judgments. You're much more than that. You're what creates new ideas. You are what creates new beginnings. You are what creates the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven because it's within you. And every time your love speaks, you're creating a new beginning for somebody. Every time you love and you speak the truth in love, you're creating the kingdom of God, which is a new beginning and a new heaven and a new earth for somebody. And how does God get rid of an old thing? By starting a new thing. How does God end a thing? But by beginning a new thing. And by the way, how many of you would say today, I am a new creature in Christ? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Behold, all things, some things, part of the things, what my mind will allow me to believe, all things have been made new. And I'm still realizing how new my life is. And realizing my place in creation, that I'm supposed to make all things new and create the kingdom everywhere I go. Because I don't do it like the world does it. I show love. And while everyone's fighting for whatever it is on the on the table that they want, while there's only so many uh, Tickle Me Elmos on, on, on the table, and, and they're about to pull the thing in part, I'm going to be like Solomon and say, well, you can have it, it's okay. God will somehow, some way, make a way for us. And who knows, maybe my distant relative, they got in a fight last week about all the Tickle Me Elmos, and they've already bought my grandkids one. So when I let go of that one, God already knew He was going to provide one another way. So now I get to be good and godly and not possessive and hold to my possessions. But just say, oh, if you both want it that much, here, take mine. See, while we have it in our means to do good and someone comes and asks us for good, if I have it in my means, should I not give it to you? Well, let me tell you what I'm really concerned about. I'm really concerned about taking care of me because I've taken on God's job. And I've got to make sure I take care of me so I can't give to you because my real concern is taking care of me. Even though God promised me that He would take care of me, it's really my job to take care of me. So God's not on that job. So I've got to take thought for me. And you know charity begins at home. So I'm going to take care of me instead of giving to my brother who's asking for me while I have just what he needs right there on my purse. Because in truth, God didn't really take care of me. Oh, well, He really does. The problem is, I don't really believe it. Because even after God told Jacob He was going to absolutely take care of him, He went down to his uncle Laban's house and spent 20 more years making sure that he was going to be taken care of, and he did it within his own power, and wasted another 20 years. Tacked on another 20 years. 
That's why Jesus, rightly in the Sermon on the Mount, takes all of Jacob's six conditions, names all six like Jacob did, and said, I'm automatically going to take care of this stuff. Take no thought for it. Take no thought for it. Don't spend another 20 years trying to take care of yourself when I said, I am going to take care of you. Right? I'm getting some head nods. Well, I appreciate the head nods, uh, head nods, uh, but I like eggnog too, so let's, let's, let's make something out of this. What do you say? We'll break some eggs and, and scramble them and, and, and make a, what, what is it when they flap it over? They, yeah, we'll make an omelet out of it. Takes, takes, let's all jump in here together. You, you shrooms and bell peppers and tomatoes, how about job jumping in here with me? Make an omelet out of it. <laughs> I had a person come out, I'll never forget it. Say, you broke my eggs. So you keep breaking eggs. Can't nobody put a broke egg back together. And I said, no, I know because they make great omelets. Wake up and be graceful. I said, that's why God smashed my egg into yours. And now all our gooey and goopy stuff is all mixed together. He's going to homogenize us and make an omelet out of it. And I'm glad to be in the omelet. How, what do you, how do you feel? I didn't want to be beside you. I said, I know, isn't it great? God's still teaching you you need to love more. Right? That's why you're in the omelet of a church. That's why we live the diversity of not being structured as our ego because there is healthy esteem. But when you turn it into healthy, self-hyphenated esteem, you've gone too far. Without even knowing it, you've become a competitive person basing your life in judgments of form and temporality when you should realize that faith doesn't come by understanding. Understanding comes from faith. That the worlds were then framed, now that they've taken form, by the Word of God, the formless Word of God. The formless God has made forms and God, when He swore by everything, wanted to see something greater. He looked at everything that was created and nothing He had made was good enough for Him to say, I swear by mountains, I swear by oceans, I swear by the polar caps, I swear by the Milky Way, I swear by uh, the, the twelve planets, I swear by the sun, the moon, and the stars. He said, nope, I made all that. And I didn't have a form, and I turned it into form. So those are not enough to explain to you who I am. Now they can show you what I can do, and they are snippets of who I am, but they're not the totalitarianism of who I am. That's why Christianity and the Muslim faith need to go together. No one thing about God can explain how much God is. The best example He ever gave us was Jesus Christ. That's the best that God ever provided us. Through the volume of the book. Through exalting His Word above His name. And yet we see God is grander even than the Son. And because He said, You believe because I told you you were sitting under a tree? Philip, that flipped your switch? <laughs> he said, "Try, Lord, that's all it takes to make you a believer. You're going to see greater things than this. Knowing that you, having a word of knowledge and seeing you under a tree and knowing that uh, while I'm choosing my disciples, Philip, 
uh, if this made you believe, uh, you're going to see a lot greater than this. Lift your hand and say, I am too. I'm going to see God move in my life greater than I have so that any one thing cannot determine who I am. I'm still a manifestation that's alive. I'm manifesting more now than I ever have. One thing died so I could be birthed into something better. One thing ended so I could go into a greater plateau. So I used to sing, but I can't sing anymore. God's just given you an opportunity to do something even grander. To believe God in any greater way. And I know it's dark in there right now. Remember you were born, it was dark in there too. And suddenly... You popped out and you went, ah, somebody cut the lights on. You went from total darkness to total light. And that's why you were screaming. Because now you had to get reacclimated to the light. How many still adjust to the light slowly? I slowly darken everything. In my evenings, if you understand how to rest, you've got to slowly darken everything around you. It's got to get darker and darker and darker. And you feel the blanket of darkness saying, Cut the brain off. Cuff your thoughts off. Make a covenant with rest. God gives His beloved sleep. He wants you to rest. No, sleeping just means you're lazy. No, read your Bible. There are two types of sleep. God rewards the labor of a working man and his sleep is sweet, according to the Bible. And he gives his beloved rest. Now if you're just lazy because you do nothing, well then we'll have a talk about that. But there's also sleep that's rejuvenating and renewing. And when you finally lay down the outer conscience of everything that you want people to think of you and who you are and what you want them to see after you present the you of your mask, after you show them, this is what I want you to know about me. This is what I want you to think about me. And that's what the soul does. Then the real you says, are we done today? Are you finished? Great. Now, the real you gets busy. And if you can't tell the real you has been busy all night long, thinking and loving and meditating on God, many times I'll wake up and the inner me, the real me, the Kevin me, has come up and said, hey, I found it. You asked that question earlier in the day? You were so busy being you, you wouldn't shut up long enough to listen to me. So I went ahead and let you have your way. You know, your outer conscience, which is not the real conscience, when the inner conscience really thinks and really talks and really moves. He says, here's the idea. Me and Jesus were talking in the library. We finally got you to sit down and shut up. <laughs> we finally got you to be quiet long enough to pay attention to mindfulness. Have you slowed down enough to just watch yourself be mindful? To watch your spirit? Just meditate? How's it going in there? Be quiet. Do you know that you can catch yourself in a meditative way when you're preoccupied by something that you do a lot because your outer consciousness is maybe busy at the moment? Some of you do it washing dishes. Some of you do it while you're taking a shower. Some of you do it while you're driving a car. But you finally got the outer you, the one that you think that is you, the one that you present to everybody, the, the you that you want everybody to think of you as busy enough. And suddenly the inner man, the real you, starts thinking and meditating at God and says, thank God he's busy doing something. 
Thank God the outer you is busy doing something else. Now, uh, the inner me wants to talk with God. Thank God. Have you ever waited in a conversation to try to have something to say while two or three other people are, there's conversation and insation everywhere, and it's like shooting a gun inside of a stainless steel ball, and there's... And then finally, the two people that are so dominating in their speech after they talk about what was at the grocery store and did they use paper bags or plastic bags and you're like, oh God, help me Jesus, deliver me. They finally got done with it. And then your conversation can be engaging and you can finally learn something. It becomes clear enough for you to hear. Have you ever been in a conversation where you're trying to have understanding and another element comes in and the person who's talking is so far off and so doesn't know what they're saying, all they're doing is blowing smoke into the room, and what you're trying to see and comprehend becomes less and less in view because of all the smoke that they brought in. You're saying, can you cut off the smoke machine for a second? We actually need to pay attention to what we're doing here. You know, confusion breeds confusion. And some people use confusion as a buffer to not know because if they know, they're scared to death that they'll have to do it. Chaos is also another buffer. It is also another mask of people who say, oh, no, don't, don't, don't modify what I'm doing. Uh, let me show you how much chaos I've gotten. You'll never get to what needs to be changed. It's called the subterfuge of the soul and the lies of the ego. Because I want to stay who I am. And I don't want God managing me and changing me anymore. But I still want God managing me and changing me. So I'm going to make room by saying, None of those other things can limit me or define me. I have done them. I've been good at them. God bless. But I'm still capable of so much more. Scary, isn't it? I felt my inner man say, You said that out loud? You said that out loud? I'm like, Yeah, do you like it? He says, Yeah, but it, it sounds liberating. It is liberating. I wonder if you could say in your innermost being, I'm capable of so much more. So much more. Do you think working at the pizza restaurant is all who you are? Is that it? You're capable of so much more. You, you entered into the frosted area of your life, into the fall of your life. Is it just being a grandmother? Sure you want to be a good one. But you're capable of so much more. So much more. That alone doesn't define you. There's a lot more to you. And that's not to say that any of that's bad about you. That's all good. But it's still not enough to say the greater one that's in you, oh, there's, you're, you're capable of a lot more. And he is not going to marry himself and weld himself to any formed judgment. Matter of fact, he may break a form off of you just to birth you into something greater. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Because we'll let ego... Leonard Times, a person who's lost in ego is another way of saying it. They have the disease of me. They're diseased with themselves. As the Greek mythology pointed out, I think his name was Narsuus. Is that right, Leon? Narcissus. Is that it? Say, 
Uh, that's that's what it became later. But the 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 the, the person himself, his name was Narcissus. Narcissus. He's such a beautiful fellow. He went up to a lake. And even Solomon bought into this long before the Greeks did. And he saw his own image in the smooth, slick lake. And he saw such a beautiful image that he fell in love with himself. He looked in the image of the lake. He saw his own reflection like in a mirror. And he fell in love with himself. And thus we get the derived psychology of people that are so selfish and live in the disease of me or the disease of themselves so much, they think everything, they're the center of the universe. And if your only way you can be attached to their life is if you become one of their uh, octopus's limbs and they control everything you say and do as long as it centers itself back around them. How many ever been around a narcissist, by the way? Someone was so in love with themselves. They have no care for anything or anybody, and we need to have care for everything and everybody everywhere else. But we're so centered on, uh, we've got to have a healthy self-esteem. Well, you've got to have a healthy esteem. But when you begin to prop up self with form things that are temporal, you are setting yourself up for what's not going to last. And when it fails, what are you going to do then? When it comes to an end, what are you going to do then? Who are you going to be then? And if something has ended, you're in the birth canal of something new beginning. If a necessity has struck you, if a tribulation has come upon you, if you're in the middle of a distress, a sickness or an infirmity, God's love is about to be re-revealed all through you again. A new iteration of your sonship is about to manifest. And even that manifest is still not great enough to define who you really are. even though it may have manifested for a while. Because it's through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. That the things which are seen, temporal, were not made by the things which... How did that appear? How many ever had a God thought appear in your spirit? How many ever had creativity appear in your spirit? Before it ever took form, before it was ever practiced, the ideas just kind of popped in you, inside of you in the soup of your, of your heart, right there in the understanding and the counsels of the heart, a revelation came. And then you had to run it up to the mind and say, hey man, does that make sense? And he says, no, but let's make sense of it. Because the carnal mind receives not the things that be of God. Therefore the mind should be subject to the heart and not the heart subject to the mind. I hope you hear me. That's real important and people don't have it right. They think they are what they, they think. They have instantiated themselves in what they think so much that now their thoughts own them instead of you owning your thoughts. When a thought comes in, you have the right to say whether that thought should be in there or not. Hey, what are you doing in here? Now, quite fortunately, because I have a super clean wife and we spray. If we came into the kitchen and saw a roach, ah, we'd scream. Because for us, that's not supposed to be in there. How many ever had a roach-like thought show up in your mind? 
his nasty tentacles. Son of a devil, what are you doing in here? I like dying. Did we call the we call the uh, what, what do you call him? Oh, you've had roaches too. Uh, oh, oh, I know. No one. Only at my house do we do we fight them off. Oh, uh, okay. The rest, God, let me live in, on their street, where uh, apparently bugs and things like that just stay. Oh, this is their street. Stay off. No, we have to manage things like that. Right? And when I find a thought coming to my kitchen where all the creation and what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to digest and what I'm about to partake of, what I'm in communion with, I knew I wanted a chef salad, but I didn't order one with roaches. Would you still eat it? If it came on your plate and it came out of their kitchen and a roach come crawling out from one of the Iceberg lettuce patties. I'd like, uh, and some people say, well, give them another chance, they'll make you another salad. And I said, that's the kitchen that it came out from to start with. <laughs> You're not thinking very clearly. No, I think we're going to go to another restaurant. I, 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 you know, you had your chance. Let me come back and look at your, uh, your health rating. Oh, I didn't check on that. It's a D for a reason. Now, they're still open, they're still making food, but their health rating is a D. How would like to go back and give them another shot at it? Well, you know, raise that level up and we'll think about it. Y'all are not thinking today, but that's what we do with our mind. We cast down imaginations and every thought. We bring every thought into captivity, everything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. So when you think about how responsible you are for taking care of you when your father God said, I will take care of you. We're treating God like he doesn't do what he said he would do. We're treating God like his word comes out of his mouth and it does not perform in the place whereunto he sent it. And I believe God sent that word to every one of us. Am I missing something yet? Where am I going wrong? Or maybe is it that we're going right? Maybe it is that we're turning more into God than we ever had before. Maybe I'm asking you to turn more into God than you ever knew you could. How many would say that's a possibility? Pastor Kello is asking me to turn into God more than I ever knew I could. He's very thought-provoking even though sometimes I think he covers some things that I wish he wouldn't. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which create, manifest, or things that are formless. The spirit of God that is formless until it takes on the form of a servant. The father took on the form of a servant found himself in fashion like unto a man, and became obedient. And that son he called Jesus, which was a manifestation of the Father with us. The Holy Ghost with us. The one God manifesting for our salvation. Back to 2 Corinthians 4, 17. I'm trying to hush now. 
especially if you'll behave, we'll be out of here by one. A good hearty amen and a give him, give him a cheer and off we go again. Off we go again. Uh, 4.18. And I do watch movies. I just put it on again because it makes me laugh. Uh, planes, trains, and what is it? Uh, and automobiles, yeah. Uh, 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 John Candy and Steve Martin. I just laugh like a goose. I lose about five feathers every time I watch it. It just makes me laugh. <laughs> Driving the car, fingernails stuck into the dash. <laughs> and it says, <laughs> oh, that's a good hearty old laugh. While we look by faith through the eyes of our understanding, Miss Martha, not at the things that have already taken form, but at the things which are formless. For the things which are seen that have taken form are temporary and temporal. They pass away. But the things which are formless create everything that has form. And if I was chosen in Christ by God's heart and His spoken word, would it be that His spoken word would return me to the formless essence that I truly am? And that formless essence is a greater peace than any other formed thing that I try to use to determine who I am. And therefore, ego has been trying to edge God out. And we no longer have a healthy self-esteem. We have an exaggerated self-esteem that makes us the narcissist of our own center and our own universe and our own house and our own lifestyle and we only do things if it's right around the centricity of me. And we're not denying self, we're constantly promoting self. Trying to say this is who I am and this is who I am and this is who I am and God chose me for what I am and if He chose me for what I am, He chose me to tell the truth and to die for it. And I don't think I'm sufficient of myself to think anything as of myself. Self twice. I don't think anything as of myself. I only entertain the thoughts of the Most High. Because true me, self did not think of this thought. God did. The God in me gave me this thought. He just used my mind and He used the agency of my temple and being to give me another treasure and ask me to consider this. This is a God thought. This is what my father's thinking about. He just put it into my computer. He downloaded this idea, this inspiration in me, and then he wants to see what I'll do with it. Because in truth, as a son, I'm formless. And I can take on whatever uh, image, likeness, dominion, manifestation, or form that I need to in the present moment and not be married and locked to it forever. And say, that's all I'll ever be. I'm even going to be birthed by death into a new existence of reality. Jesus was born out of death and I too will be born out of death. And I'll go through the womb of that darkness only to be born into a greater realm of light. And everything I have done here 
could only be precursors for the greater that I'm going to do there. See, I've always wanted in the innermost part of me if I had only developed it, if I had only been aware of it, to become a reader and an author or a great poet or someone who's a novelist, that's inside of me. And I've tried to tap into it a thousand times. And it's almost like my dad saying, oh, it will be, just not right now. You're heady and high-minded enough. We don't need to add that to your list of do's. Stay, stay humble. And, and I know none of you ever deal with staying humble, but yours truly. I mean, when we get down to prayer, God shows up and said, you remember what you told me last week? You remember how you falsely accused me? Remember that quarrel? How many quarrels with God? I do. I argue with him on a regular basis. Ah, oh, God, it's Kevin. What's he want? Well, you know, he wants to talk to you. Let him in. It's okay to quarrel with God. That's because we have a relationship. I also quarrel with Diane. But if I see you quarreling with Diane and you're not married to, you're in a world of trouble. Because you don't get to talk to my wife that way, but I get to every day. I will skin you alive, hot shot. I married her to have arguments like that. I'm very committed to those quarrels. I committed my life to that. I don't want to tear her down. I want to raise her up. Mammy's glad to see Diane, by the way. Coming out of the woods, coming back on top. What a tough time for her breathing in her bronchial tubes. Pray for her. But she gets stronger and stronger. Pray for her because she's married to me. I want to say that I love you all dearly. I hope you've heard what I've had to say. How many, how many can give me in a word what you think I'm trying to say today? What do you think this was all about? I don't want you to go with some misconceived ideas no matter what. Give me an idea or a word. What was I trying to communicate today? Amen. Much more. Everybody say there's much more in that woman right there. Much more. She's not defined by living on the lake, street. There's so much more concerning her. So much more concerning you. And we want you to get to more. Understand that whatever distress, necessity, tribulation, infirmity, sickness, or weakness you're facing, you have gone into a darkness only to experience in the preparation of a new birth and a new iteration of you manifesting as a son or daughter of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. One thing can't define you. If I am going to be defined, it will not be by something that's already been formed and temporal that will pass away. I'll be defined by the Creator Himself, by that essence. That's the one I'll go with. And then I can be anything, anywhere, anytime to any person that I meet. I become all things to all people. Impossible, Brother Kevin. Nope. 
See, when we see Him, we don't know yet what we shall be like. Because you can be like so many things when it comes to God. God has been like everything that He created. And He's used everything He created to lead you and I to Him. But I do have this hope that when I see Him, I'll get to be like Him. And being like Him is being whatever you need to be in the moment to save and love others. And it does not yet appear what I shall be. But I can tell you, any of those things that I have been, any one of those things don't define me because they're not enough to define who I really am in God. So yes, while I believe He can be defined by one thing, I think He can't be defined by one thing. But I think that one thing can show Him and show you a definition of who He is, but I don't think it's enough to tell you all of what or who He is. That's why I really believe in the belief of God that the Muslim faith and the Christian faith are a sandwich that goes together instead of apart. You see, I think that God loved Isaac and Ishmael. I believe that God loved Cain and Abel. I believe God always loved Esau and Jacob. I don't think He has ever at any time, in any place, or any form, or any shape, ever created by the will of hate, in the creation of hate, and just for hate. God does not start out hating anyone. He may bring you to the place to understand that you keep making hateful choices for yourself. But God doesn't hate you. Another sermon, another time. Happy holidays. Things are well at my house. My wife just cooked another 12-pound turkey. I am a happy man. Turkeys are of God. Yes. And her turkey will melt in your mouth. She makes the best turkey this side of the Mississippi. And the only reason I can say that is I haven't been on the other side of the Mississippi. There may be the whole continent. Okay, guys, I love you. Do you feel loved? Do you feel like you've learned something? Taught something? Well, then go with God. I love you. See you Wednesday night at 7. No, I won't. Let's see. Will I be here? I'll make it translated. No, the, I won't be here the second one.